This is episode four in our four-part series on mental health. Now, last time we heard from Shelly Smith on hustle culture, empathy, and boundaries. Today, our topic is ADHD, what it is, what it looks like, and what to do if we or someone we care about has it. The likelihood of you knowing someone with ADHD is very high, but what are we supposed to do about it? Can we talk about this at work? How do we approach it with our kids and not crush them? How do we manage employees or even ourselves when focus is needed to complete tasks? Welcome to the Impact of Leadership podcast, where we believe that no one drifts into excellence. I'm your host, Steve Shear, and today's episode pulls a popular term into the spotlight to help us all get a better view. My guest today is Dr. Tamara Rosier, author of Your Brain's Not Broken, Strategies for Navigating Your Emotions and Life with ADHD. Now that title alone had me sold before I even met her, but then I met her. So she's an educator, a coach, regular contributor to attitudemag.com, which we'll have in the show notes for you. And as a fun side note, we had tons of issues with our connection in the interview, and it just kept dropping Tamara from the call like three times. She joked the entire time saying, you're really messing with somebody who deals with deep feelings of rejection, Steve. I haven't even got to that point in the interview yet. Every time she had something for me, she is awesome and she knows her stuff. Tamara is insightful, funny, and vulnerable in this interview. So let's jump into it with her talking about the book and the fears that were drawn to the surface as she released it. So Tamara, you're, you, the title of your book got me. Like I read it and then I came back to it and I wanted to make sure I understood what it was, what it, it said because it, it stopped me. So before we get deep into the content, um, could you talk a bit about the title of your book and what your goals were in, in writing it? Yeah, um, I'm glad you liked the title. Because that is really what I want my clients to know. And it's really what, what I want the readers to know. Uh, those of us with ADHD uh, are usually frustrated because we don't grown up well. Um, all those modern little things that we have to do, like laundry, unloading the dishwasher, planning, all that, all that stuff that leads to grown uping those of us with ADHD tend to be very bad at. My clients come to me, they wonder, what is wrong with me? And I respond, your brain's not broken, but it is different. And we have to learn how to work with those differences. So I want to um, try to rid as many assumptions as possible with this next question. And it kind of is sort of like a working definition, sort of a question as well. But uh, what is it that, that people don't understand about ADHD? And, and you may have just touched on a couple of things there about adulting and growing up in that, but what is it that, you know, a fun, maybe a functional definition of ADHD or what, what is it that people don't understand about ADHD? Okay. So this, I am so glad you're asking this question because nearly a third of people who have ADHD list emotional instability as one of their most impairing aspects of having it. However, the diagnostic criteria, it, they don't even mention it. And so it's incredibly maddening when people are, are describing symptoms 
in the DSM, the Diagnostic Style Manual, says, yeah, it doesn't count. So the DSM is a good 20 years behind. And it's absolutely frustrating. So something, a big thing that people don't understand about ADHD is that because of our prefrontal cortex, um, and maybe we can get into this a little bit later, it, it doesn't function like it, like neurotypicals do. Um, and so we do these weird hacks that, Im- that involve emotions. And so we tend to have bigger, bolder emotions. And uh, people just don't understand that. And I wish they did. And um, I think you said it before, but do you have ADHD? Uh, yes, I certainly do. And this book outed me. Okay. <laughs> um, can I just tell you something really quickly? It's going to be so hard to write. Yes, please do. Yeah, I'm just going to tell you, um, four weeks ago, I just started freaking out. I'm like, what have I done? I was way too honest, way too vulnerable in this book. I outed myself. And I was very, very honest with my struggles uh, with ADHD in the book. Um, I, I, th- I think I would have preferred to kind of keep a more distance, scholarly approach. No, I did the ADHD thing of just jumping in the pool. And so um, I'm getting great feedback, but wow, does it feel scary. Yes. Maybe it's in the same vein of thought. Maybe it's not. But how did you then... What did it, what was it like for you to discover uh, and, and go through and, and know that, okay, I, I, I'm different. I have something different. Like you were saying before, my ADHD, what was school like? What was the discovery of this, uh, this like for you? Um, I'm not asked that question a lot. Uh, it was absolutely painful. Uh, so I was a girl and I'm super old. So, you know, I was a girl in the seventies and eighties and Girls didn't have ADHD because that was a naughty boy disease, if even diagnosed. And we only had Ritalin back then to throw at those kids. So you had to be pretty naughty to get on Ritalin. And, you know, back then people were like, yeah, we're pretty sure it's the parents' fault. And ironically, it is the parents' fault, but it's genetically, not behaviorally. So um, both my parents had ADHD undiagnosed, untreated, which meant home could be a volatile place. Um, I went to school each day and I could just feel that I was out of step with my peers. Quick side note, ADHD people tend to run about three years behind their peers. And we don't really catch up until our mid-30s. And that's there's a lot of neurological reasons for that. But I I just remember um, looking at the differences. And I surmise, like so many of my clients, that there, there is something wrong with me. And that wrong thing must be bad. And that wrong thing I should be ashamed of. And so that started me trying to hide it. But let's be honest, I wasn't hiding it well. I I never figured out how to study until my second year in college. (laughs) Then I'm like, oh, wait a minute, people go to a library and do this thing. It never dawned on me before that. So uh, it, it was a struggle. And it was a struggle with my identity um, I, one of the reasons I told you I freaked out about the book is now people are going to go, Oh, that makes so much sense. So it's, thank you. First of all, before we just move past that, thank you for, um, being vulnerable enough. Uh, actually I think Brene Brown would say being courageous enough for, uh, for, for being vulnerable 
um, not just on this podcast, but also in your book. It's going to help a ton of people um, who are like, okay, I'm not alone. And thank you for that. And and so um, it's suggested in the title and in, in some of the things that you were just saying that there's a feeling of being broken, of being different, of nobody understanding, or, or maybe I'm alone in this thing uh, with people who have ADHD. So why do people impacted with ADHD feel like their brain is broken? Yeah. And, and I'm, I'm going to try to not totally nerd out here. So I'm going to keep it simple. There's a little bit more description about this in the book. Uh, but even then I tried not to totally nerd out. So the prefrontal cortex. So if you tap on your forehead, that's kind of where the prefrontal cortex is. Um, and that's in charge of um, executive functions like planning, working memory, uh, time management, self-monitoring, <laughs> Ooh, uh, prioritizing, uh, essentially all those things that modern life asks us to do. And so we have, um, because that, I'm sorry, stop. Those of us with ADHD, we don't have full and reliable access to our prefrontal cortexes. And because of that, we kind of do something to try to mimic what we would normally do in our prefrontal cortex. And so we go back to the limbic system and um, our nervous system. And so we kind of rely on um, like a fight or flight feeling uh, to get things done. Um, it's why a lot of people with ADHD uh, will use procrastination to try to kind of get the emotional feeling there in order to get things done. And so it it does feel like our brain's broken. Um, and, you know, I can actually say not having a prefrontal cortex it does present big problems um, for us. So here's what I found with my clients. I work with really lovely and brilliant people. And I work with physicians, lawyers, I mean, incredibly smart people who really are really, really bad at doing the mundane things in life. Um, uh, an ER doctor who I worked with, excellent ER doc. He, his colleagues know he's excellent. Everyone knows he's incredibly intelligent. But guess what his problem was? His uh, writing the reports afterwards. His charting lacked horribly. And he worked with me because... I had to, we had to figure out how to get him to do those mundane, boring things. Now, just a quick thing. If a neurotypical person is listening, that's a person without ADHD, is saying, well, why wouldn't he just do it? Well, the just do it part of our brain is in that prefrontal cortex. And so it sort of never dawns on us to just do it. And so... So we we play weird games with the mundane, boring task. You mentioned the doctor and uh, not doing the thing or just doing the thing. What are some other examples? You know, drawing this out a little bit more. What are some other examples to help? Uh, maybe how relationships uh, could be work, like doctor and not doing the charts. Um, Self image. Um, how how is? What are some examples of how those things are affected by ADHD? So task initiation becomes a huge problem for us. And 
and what we do, we do weird things with a task. Um, I, you know, this, have you ever seen the videos of uh, the marshmallow study uh, with the kids sitting? Yeah. Watching? Yeah. Okay. Have you seen yeah. that? Well, yeah, one, I, I tried to do a mini, a mini one with my kids. <laughs> you know, what, what parent has it? Let me ask you, right? <laughs> Same yeah. here. Um, and so there's one video of a child talking to the mushroom or mushroom. I don't know where I got that from. Marshmallow. It's a different study, but that would yeah, be different funny. study. But I think that one was illegal eventually. So, um, anyway, uh, the little kids talking to the marshmallow, going, "I'm not going to eat you. You can't convince me." And he's he's kind of having this imaginary conversation with the marshmallow. Um, that's kind of what ADHD folks do to a task. Like they they start talking to the task like, I don't want to do this. I'm going to look elsewhere. Or, and, and they keep, we kind of make more of a, out of a task than really our neurotypical counterparts do. And so there's five bad habits that those of us with ADHD tend to use to engage a task that we don't want to do. By the way, Steve, we don't need any help if we want to do the task our interest-based nervous system is like, cool, we're on it, and it's all good for us. But I'm talking about the tasks that we don't want to do that aren't fun and aren't emotionally stimulating. The laundry, pulling weeds, stuff like that. That's exactly it. So the first trick is avoidance altogether, and it's the la-la-la, I can't hear you. So that's, that's when I clean out my sock drawer instead of studying for an exam. And I feel very productive because I'm getting other things done. I'm just not getting the thing done that I need to get done. You see that kind of little cognitive trick we play? Yeah, it's a killer. Uh, then the next one is uh, anxiety. Now, a lot of us do that. If we pour enough anxiety, it's like gasoline on our you know, feelings and emotions then we're kind of spurred into doing it. And so the anxiety kind of gets us going. Uh, then um, sometimes we, we're so clever, we combine the two. We combine avoidance and anxiety, and that comes up with procrastination. And so we wait till the last impossible moment until it's nearly impossible for us to get it done. And then we spring into action. We beat, I mean, just by one minute, before the deadline, and then we're the heroes in our own story. Um, now, remember, all these bad tricks come with a high emotional cost, but, you know, that, we'll pick that up later. Um, so another bad tool, tool we use is shame and self-loathing. Especially adult women with ADHD, I have found, tend to use a lot of shame and a lot of negative talk to kind of muster the emotional um, oomph that they need to do a task. Um, and finally, anger. Uh, unfortunately, anger is a great motivator. Um, it's why I passed uh, my doctoral level statistics class. I was angry and decided to really learn it. Um, I wouldn't recommend this approach, uh, but I did learn stats out of spite. So was it anger at... Um how difficult it was? Was it anger at the people saying you're never going to get this done? You don't, you can't make it. Like, is it, you know, the Michael Jordan thing where he made up a story to get himself fired up? Like I, what, 
that's yeah. That, I mean, you know, clearly I'm no Michael Jordan, but <laughs> uh, yeah, it was. Um, I didn't feel like the professor was helping me enough. Um, in hindsight, he was doing the best he could. Um, I I just was angry. It, it's this like generalized ball of anger. And I'm like, I'm going to do this. And so it really um, ignited my emotional centers and helped me focus. So um, now might be as good a time as any. You, you, you dropped something that I wrote down, emotional costs. Can we jump into that? I mean, if these are bad habits, what are, what's the, the tale on these things? Yeah. So, Steve, this is exactly the premise of the book. It's The first half is saying, hey, look, we use big emotions and wow, are they costly to us. The second half of the book is, well, here's some things you can do about this. And so I do want your listeners to know there are a lot of things. You don't have to keep living from big emotion to big emotion. Um, You can begin to um, manage your emotions better. So let me just talk about big emotions a second, um, if it's okay. Um, If you imagine... Um, a number line from one to 10. Um, and a neurotypical, those without ADHD, would have um, the emotional intensity probably ranging between four, five, and six on a daily basis. However, those of us with ADHD, we tend to be all or nothing sorts of people. So we go between one and 10. Either we're at a one, we have no emotional energy to do anything. And why would I even want to start thinking about my taxes? Because it's only April 2nd. We're at at a level one with that. Or we wait until midnight the night before, and we start to panic, and we go to a 10. So the emotional intensity for us is a big problem. And remember, we don't monitor it. Like the neurotypical, they have a range of four, five, and six. On a great day, Steve, I can manage between a three and an eight. But the neurotypical brain tends to kind of modulate their emotions much better than we can. So uh, some things to do. Uh, Biggest first step is always getting appropriately diagnosed. Uh, Unfortunately, as I said at the top, of this interview, it's hard to get a good diagnosis. Uh, do your research. Uh, there are great books out there, and the research is just pouring in about how ADHD, what ADHD looks like in the brain, and how it manifests itself. A lot of physicians and ADHD specialists are complaining that people are diagnosing themselves on TikTok because there's, you know, ADD TikTok. And you know what? A lot of people on ADHD TikTok are actually accurate about the symptoms. Um, And I think they're actually leading the way in describing it. So if you do happen to see a TikTok and go, gosh, it sounds like me, you know, really start to delve into the subject. You will have to go to your practitioner knowing um, a few things before um, diagnosis. Uh, Medication, uh, stimulants work for about 80% of us. Um, and I'm telling you, it is so much easier to live medicated with ADHD than unmedicated. Quick word about that. Um, 
people still kind of think medication is a problem that, you know, we're drugging kids, we're drugging adults. Um, that's not it at all. Um, it's just like I put it, my contacts in my eyes each morning so I can see. I take a stimulant so that I can calm down and think more clearly. So, um, you know, really, medications really do work. And, and lastly, uh, if someone thinks they have ADHD, they're going through the diagnosis. Um, remember, pills don't make skills. And so you will want to seek uh, behavioral support of some kind, either join a support group, get ADHD coaching, do something to kind of teach uh, you how to behave with this new brain now that it's medicated. There are a few groups of people uh, that I'd, I'd love for you to give advice to. Because as you're talking, I'm thinking, okay, um, I think that I need some help with uh, uh, loving people better and and being patient with people. Because I, I have a team of people that I that I work with at um, at CCB on the VP of sales side over there, and then um, play sports. And I've got kids, and maybe I'm one of the ones that uh, doesn't wait or doesn't get my sock drawer cleaned out because I don't like doing it. So how would you suggest family members and teachers and colleagues and bosses and parents approach their relationship with someone who has ADHD? Wow. Thanks for asking. Um, remember I confessed, you know, I kind of freaked out because I'm like, Oh crap, people are really going to know that I have ADHD now. And you know, that's a very scary concept because there is stigma attached. Um, not only do I feel stupid uh, when I just make dumb mistakes throughout my life, but I feel even dumber having other people point them out and thinking that there's something really wrong with me. So here's a couple things I would want people to know. Um, actually, know what actually ADHD is. Um, remember that most of us, we're really trying. I, we might look sloppy with details. We might look lazy. We might look, you know, what fill in the blank here. But no, for the most part, we're really trying. Uh, you know, I work with teenagers and the parents often come in like, well, he's not even trying. And, you know, after spending a couple sessions with him, I realize, wow, he is trying and he's really sad and scared because his trying just isn't good enough. And that breaks my heart. So know that most of us, we're not trying to, um, you know, appear lazy or um, the other thing is we're really not trying to make you angry either. A lot of times we are very unaware people and we're often unaware of other people's emotions, even though we tend to be incredibly sensitive. It, this is a quirky thing about ADHD. We're very, very sensitive and we can pick up that someone's mad at us. But we can't pick up why. In fact, I remember that in my teens and 20s. Like, I'm like, I know that I did something wrong, but I can't figure out what I did. Remember that a lot of us have rejection, sensitivity, dysphoria. That means we're, we're really, really afraid that you'll stop loving us and think it's not worth it. And rejection, sensitivity um, stops a lot of us from making deep relationships. Stress exacerbates our symptoms. So, if you, you know, some actions to take, be honest, you know, this is how this is affecting me, but also be gentle in that approach. Um, it's fair to ask us to manage our emotions. And it's fair for us 
us to be asked to be treated like grown-ups. Um, even though we don't want to wash our car, it's a grown-up thing that we just have to learn how to do. So uh, it's, it's fair that others ask us to be grown-ups. Uh, what I want people to know, though, is uh, in a work environment, we tend to master the divergent thinking approach, which means we have possi big possibility brains, and we see connections where other people just don't see connections. We're curious as all get out, and everything is connected to us, which makes us irritating because we're not good at the convergent A, B, C, D kind of thinking. Um, we were just joking about this yesterday in our family. Um, those of us who have ADHD, uh, my family, uh, we were having baked beans. They're like, oh, this is a great recipe. And I said, yeah, it was. And then two of the girls giggled. And they're like, but you didn't follow the recipe, did you? <laughs> and I, the truth is, no, I didn't. I mean, I started, it's just an idea. It's a suggestion for me. Um, and that's how divergent brains tend to work. So on the, on the relational side, you, you said, um, so there's emotional sensitivity and then a disconnect onto, as to why someone's frustrated, but then, uh, and that can strain relationships, but it is okay and good to approach someone who has ADHD and ask direct questions, but we just need to be uh, mindful of how, like our motive, our, our uh, tone of voice, like, you know, approaching that relationship. Like, I don't, I don't want to blow this relationship up. So I, I work with um, families. I do a lot of family coaching. Um, and so the, what I teach is um, this action is affecting me this way. And in other words, um, the ADHD person is very, very sensitive to criticism um, and will accidentally hear, you're an idiot because you can't do this. And so we talk about it in the family saying, that's not what I'm saying. I'm saying, when you leave your shoes in the middle of the floor, it affects me because I don't look down <laughs> and I trip over your size 12 shoes. And so it helps me if you put your shoes away. Um, and instead of, you know, put your shoes away, I, we're talking about how it affects me. Most um, of the ADHD people I work with, they have sensitive hearts and they want other people to be happy with them. And so when you approach them this way, um, you're being clear that I'm not calling you an idiot or you're not bad, but this is something I'd like to problem solve with you. So let's say um, someone is listening to this and they're like, yep, that's me. Uh, that's totally me. Or they're listening to this and they're like, oh my goodness, I was such a jerk to my kid, my spouse, my colleague, whatever. I, I, I need to do better. And I think this is them. Could you, could you speak to both of those? Like what steps should the person take? Who's like, yep, that's me in order to get help. And then maybe that other person who's in the room thinking, oh man, I made it. I, I totally messed that up. You know, um, I actually wrote the book for that situation. I'm hoping the book after people read the book go, Oh, yep, that's me. Or, Hey, I know this person in this book. So, 
Um, I, I really want people to understand and be okay that they have ADHD. And remember, Steve, I'm not okay that I have ADHD. I'm mad at myself all the time for my dumb ADHD. So I'm asking people to do something that I'm still working on. But um, seeking diagnosis is really a good first step. So like outside of TikTok, what would be, you know, practically outside of that, potentially, would you say like, are there references? Is there something? There absolutely are. That kind of thing. Yeah, absolutely. Um, But I do, I do watch the TikTok phenomenon with um, the interest of kind of a, with a sociological interest. Like, while these people are really describing something that researchers haven't been able to fully formulate. And I kind of wish there were studies focused around TikTok and what people are saying there. Um, And so maybe that sounds a bit silly, but I'm I'm just fascinated with that whole phenomenon. Um, But there are great places to look. Um, Obviously, I'm hoping y'all will read my book. Um, but, um, there's a great magazine called Attitude, A-D-D, Itude magazine. Um, there are great people that write there and, um, really a lot of the top researchers are putting their stuff out there. And so I can't recommend that source enough. Bill Dobson has, um, great articles on there. Russ Ramsey, uh, Russell Barkley, um, a lot of big names who are really publishing there. So I would totally go there, uh, check some things out. Uh, there's a great organization called ADA, Adults with ADHD, and you can find support there also. Before we um, you know, close this thing out, you, you clearly have a healthy sense of humor. What role do you think through this process of discovering you've got ADHD of addressing that you have ADHD, of working through that, did humor play in that process? Well, I write about it in the book. Um, you know what? If if I didn't laugh at myself, I'd be really sad all the time. Because if you followed me around, I look like a physical comedian. Um, I don't know if you know who Lucille Ball is, but she's great for physical comedy. Um, yeah, I you would go, huh, she kind of looks like a Lucille Ball character. Um, I bump into things. I trip over things. Um, I lock my keys in the car. It's harder these days because cars are smarter. But I just, just, I do really dumb things. If I don't learn to laugh at myself, I, I would be spending a lot of time very sad. Uh, so partly what I help my clients do is learn to look at themselves and think, maybe this isn't so bad. And maybe these dumb little mistakes don't mean that I'm a dumb person. You know, uh, another thing that I think your research and this conversation and your book does is it helps people. I think I said it earlier, but it helps people know that they're not alone because isolation does crazy things to people. Um, and so I'm so glad that that you're taking a step and going first to say, yeah, I've got ADHD and here's how I dealt with it. And here's how we can help each other out because uh, we need it. We need each other. And this, we, we want people to live. Well, we at CCB and IOL, we want people to live full and healthy lives and mental health is a big,
big deal. And this is a very practical um, conversation that I've never had before. So I'm, I'm grateful. I'm grateful that you're doing this. I'm really glad about the content that we're bringing to leaders, but also I can't wait to listen back to this conversation myself. But before we, we close this thing out, um, would you please do me a favor, do us a favor and, and, and encourage two groups of people specifically that I've been thinking about, um, that you've been speaking to, but first of all, the folks who know, um, love someone with ADHD, you know, encourage those folks. And then those with ADHD, could you do that as a, as a way for us to close this thing out? Absolutely. ADHD affects every nuance of our life. And I help my clients realize that there's nothing in their life that ADHD is not affecting. And so it is that consuming. Um, And in our country, I don't know why we don't pay more attention to mental health. Um, I really think we need to begin doing so. But having undiagnosed and untreated ADHD feels disabling. And it is really important for you to start to take the steps to identify what's actually happening. Uh, There are so many resources out there. Um, All you have to do is look. Uh, There are great books out there. Um, If you are a parent of a child uh, who you suspect to have ADHD, I want you to remember that ADHD is highly hereditary. Um, So if you are biologically related to the child, it's worth your time to go, huh, how did my child get this? Perhaps even begin with you. If you're married to someone who you're concerned has ADHD, uh, the, the best thing is just to have this honest conversation. A lot of times my clients are relieved when their spouse says, hey, did you ever think you might have ADHD? And, and sometimes they're like, oh my goodness, I thought that was just me. I'm not going crazy after all. So, uh, yeah, and, and really, uh, just start to look at it of all the times in the world to have ADHD. This is the time we can treat it and we can learn how to manage it. Well, thank you so much, not just for being here not just for the time, but for your vulnerability, for your research and for your work. This is a great conversation and uh, be sure to check the show notes. If you're listening to this this conversation, you're going to want more um, from this conversation. So go to the show notes. We'll have some links there, uh, not just to the book, but to the the other uh, papers and other resources that uh, Tamara mentioned. So thank you again uh, for being here. And um, I, I look forward to pushing your book out and, uh, and, you know, being a better husband, boss, and friend to folks that have ADHD. So thank you so much for this. My pleasure. Takeaways and action items. First of all, the takeaways. I've got two. First of all, number one, you are not alone. Number two, ADHD is not a death sentence. It's not who you are. It's just the way your brain was made. And your brain is not broken. Action items. I've got several here. Number one, there's so much more in her book that we weren't able to cover. So pick up a copy. Number two, 
check out the links and resources that she mentioned. We'll put a couple of them in the show notes. Number three, be kind in your responses to people. To quote Tamara, most of us are really trying. We really are. Number four, and if you don't know who Lucille Ball is, Google her. She's fantastic. Well, that wraps up our mental health series, but we are not done. Tamara actually agreed to come back and do a webinar with us in the coming months. She has a PhD in leadership, so she wants to do a, a, a link of how ADHD affects our leadership and get really specific on that because we weren't able to unpack all that in this interview. So be on the lookout for that because we are going to do that in the coming months. Now, the easiest way to keep up with the podcast is to subscribe or follow in whatever platform uh, that you're listening to this on right now. But if you're interested in keeping tabs with us via email, we'd love to communicate with you that way also. And in exchange for your email address, I'll give you an ebook on healthy conflict. Go to impactofleadership.com. And if the pop-up doesn't happen because I created it and I might've messed it up, just click the button that says, get the ebook. Now, if you thought of someone during this episode and it's appropriate to do so, please send this episode to them with a note of encouragement. Now, I can't wait to be with you again soon, but until then, from all of us at the Impact of Leadership, thank you for listening.